Hi, I'm Michelle Fenton, and welcome to the Happy Texture Podcast. What would it take to develop resilient, sustainable communities? How do we design cities that support our collective happiness? Join me as my guests and I discuss how we can plan, implement, and foster places that allow us to flourish and grow. Pleased to bring you this special two-part episode of Happy Texture, where we join landscape architect and urban designer Derek Lee, partner at PWL Partnership. Excuse the noise as we decided to take this podcast recording outside in one of Derek's uh, most treasured projects, Olympic Village. Due to the coronavirus, we couldn't do this in the studio, so we opted to take a walk around. Olympic Village. Don't forget to check out part one if you haven't done so already. Hope you enjoy part two. I think that the public policy part is something that we're starting to see wane a little bit in term in Vancouver specifically in terms of a consolidated um, community planning effort. Uh, it's, it, it does seem that um, the the excitement and the collaboration that happened, the intense collaboration that happened from a lot of different parties for this particular site uh, hasn't hasn't necessarily been applied to yeah. community planning in the city. It's been mostly one-offs, you know, yeah. uh, and negotiations with specific developers as opposed to a really um, collaborative, concerted effort to plan a community. You know, we, right. we're looking at planning building sites now and not communities. And so I think the, the, the takeaway for me is, you know, as, as a citizen, as a citizen, as an expert citizen, um, would be to convince our politicians or council that the success of this wasn't built on, on the shoulders of one developer yeah. um, negotiating with city planners. It, right. it took a concerted effort. It took planning. It took care, it took information, and it took all hands on deck in a yeah. way to to what I think anyone anywhere in the world would say is a very successful uh, end result, a community yeah. plan. So um, hopefully those that are listening to this podcast can start to communicate that. I mean, one of the things we wanted to bring out in this podcast is to actually um, equip the typical person, the, the, the citizen, with the language and the motivation to actually be a part of their city planning and to engage with their with their councillors and their politicians to say, hey, this is what we want and this is how we want to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and let's design this policy together in the interest of the community, mm-hmm. in the interest of the public good. So I think it was important and I appreciate your knowledge on this. Uh, I really appreciate that. Uh, I think that's something that we should really not lose sight of, that the... The grassroots efforts are great. They're exciting. We love the facilitation process, but really, when the rubber hits the road, it's the policy that actually makes it work. Yeah, I think that's really the key. Um, there is a there is an important balance between when you engage with stakeholders, when policy is set up, and when you continue to engage with the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and it often, you know, uh, starts on sort of the broad the one end of the spectrum rather where 
it's all about it's a very kind of open-ended form of engagement right, right? um you know I'm sort of a, a trained uh, engagement professional as well. And so what we talk about is this idea of uh, engagement and empowerment of right. people. Yeah. And I think that happens most effectively when there is no particular agenda right. established, mm-hmm. right? Where there is the space to brainstorm ideas openly and allow people to explore things that may have never even been considered uh, by decision makers. Mm-hmm. Um and that those opportunities can really truly be the points of inspiration to help shape our city. Yeah. Even before a project is even formulated. That's right. Yeah. Because engagement will continue through that process. And it should. And it should continue. And then it uh, eventually hits sort of at the other end of the spectrum where, yes, there has been adequate engagement and uh, input that, it, that then it becomes a more of an informed level of engagement mm-hmm. on the opposite end of that engagement spectrum. Yeah. Right. And so everything in between. One of the things that I've really been working hard on is um, creating uh, entities for the citizenry, for the public to access uh, community building initiatives in our city. And I've been a part of the Urbanarium now for um, probably less than a year. Uh, I was involved in earlier conversations with Ray Spaxman, I mean, 15 years ago when we tried to resurrect this. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously now been in full swing for probably, I don't know, a few years now. Mm-hmm. I want to kind of say five years. I may be off a bit. But um, I was sitting down with Scott Hine uh, at the early part of this pandemic. We started to brainstorm some ideas for how we can more effectively engage the citizens of our city. And we thought, okay, well, the Urbanarium does a great job already as a forum for conversations, lots of panel discussions, you know, on urban mm-hmm. issues and such. But what... But the, there's one other aspect to this that we didn't talk about, which is the creative aspect of engagement. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, with a lot of people, um, it becomes an objective decision-making exercise where people oftentimes throw up the barriers if it's how much, what is the quantity, how high, how tall, how big, how small. Yes. You know, those are things that I think a lot of people have a hard time um, sort of visualizing. Mm-hmm. and translating into reality. But one thing that people truly can identify and work together to determine is what is the collective experience? Right. What are the qualitative things that mm-hmm. I really enjoy in the city or elsewhere that I think could happen here? That's right. And that's why we decided to create an urbanarium studio. Mm-hmm. But a studio to reach out and be accessible to the citizens of, of Vancouver and beyond to really um, make transparent what is happening in our city and what can happen and maybe having ourselves as facilitators to vi- help people visualize that experience. Yes. So that that's kind of a, um, I think that creative aspect of sharing ideas very openly without an agenda necessarily yes. at the beginning and through the course of a project as it yeah. evolves is, is really important. Mm-hmm. And so um, we're, we're trying to figure out how that can become, we can evolve that from sort of a, an online status during COVID to maybe a food a food truck scale entity <laughs> yes. that's mobile. Maybe something that's more permanent yeah. in our city, mm-hmm. like uh, a permanent um, uh, studio environment, or uh, I don't want to say a museum, but you know what I mean, a place yeah. that can showcase yeah. the city and build 
um, sort of a, uh, a vocabulary for the general public, That's right. a language that they yeah. and a toolkit that they understand in terms of how yeah. these decisions get made, how cities are built, what the process typically yeah. is, to allow them to apply more informed decisions and comment in terms That's of right. what our city needs. Yeah. And in a way, it's in, it's empowering uh, the citizens yeah. of the place to actually engage with those uh, creative minds, with those um, uh, leaders yeah. and decision makers in a way that's constructive. Yes, exactly. You know? And it, it moves the process along and the process becomes that much richer because you're sharing a language. That's exactly yeah. it, right? And now we're, the city has been... Uh, engaged in uh, the citywide plan now. Mm-hmm. And so this is a big deal, right? I yeah. mean, I think that they're being very strategic in terms of how they uh, engage, but lots of opportunities there yeah. too. Uh, so uh, you're moving on to, um, well, there there's some discussion about Granville Street. Yeah. And uh, they have already been planning uh, for that. I want to shift a little bit because Granville Street is a very different scale. Uh, and how do you see that then uh, starting to evolve with all the knowledge we have from the pandemic, from places like Olympic Village? How do we then apply the human scale to something that is inherently, uh, you know, a city scale, not yeah. a community scale? Yeah. So Granville Street um, is a project that I was involved with uh, before the Olympics. Um, so we had started in on re facing the street. I, I'm going to leave it at that. Is we, we basically <laughs> sort of did a bit of a reface. That's right. Um, of the ground plane, the furniture, the lighting, etc. But I think there's something deeper that was missing even in that process. And, and this is why uh, I've taken a very keen interest in this, particularly uh, approaching the, D, the Downtown Business Association, which has been incredibly proactive in trying to activate their public spaces during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And this became a real interesting point of conversation because um, Granville Street is uh, experiencing a real turning point. There's a lot of redevelopment that's now happening with a lot of the derelict uh, cinemas and, yes. and developers coming in and re-developing. Re, uh, There's an interest in adding affordable housing, a lot of office space layered on top of the entertainment venues and retail space below. Mm-hmm. It's also a place that has struggled over the years because, to your point, it was more of a citywide or even a regional destination. Right. It sort of lacked a sense of local. Yes. You know, it was where people would come from afar and spend the night on the street and, and then leave. Mm-hmm. And so this is something that we're really digging deeper into is with the, pan- with the pandemic and the desire perhaps afterwards too for people to sort of embrace their own locality mm-hmm. more and maybe be traveling to other places less. What does that mean for all the folks, the citizens that live downtown? And what could a street like that, how can that street be more relevant to their daily lives? Mm -hmm. Um, There's been discussions about putting in a food hall, um, which could be really interesting. Mm There has been discussions about activating the side streets and the laneways behind, in addition to even pedestrianizing large portions of the street now that the bus lines uh, can be moved to uh, right. northbound on Seymour and southbound on Hornby yeah. or vice versa um, to really activate that more as a relevant space for the city. Um, mobile vendors, kiosks with, uh, you know, that could occupy the center line of the street, you know, more generous cafe patio areas spilling out, 
public art, you know, mm-hmm. that could really activate the space. I remember before the during the Olympics, uh, how Granville Street was activated with amazing public art yes. through the street, yeah. and it just was absolutely magic. So, I think it's those sort of uh, soft programming initiatives uh, to enhance the public realm that. Uh, can really be achieved in the immediate term. And we've been looking carefully at partnering and working with the DVBIA and the city mm-hmm. um, and uh, a lot of the business owners too to yeah. help um, make this happen. Yeah. I mean, one of the, th- one of the things that is, is always uh, something of a cautionary tale is mm-hmm. when you start to look at uh, larger scale developments, that smaller grain business owner um, uh, typology yeah. starts to get removed because yeah. of well economic pressures mm-hmm. to be to be blunt about it uh, but you know to to be able to layer that granular piece onto something that like Granville Street will really change the ecology of it I yeah. think and it, uh, and to your point about bringing local people there I think the one of the things that we 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 need to really investigate is the importance of small scale businesses yeah to achieve that granularity. Uh, I mean, you know, the London drugs and the bays and that sort of thing is, is also important as anchors, but it's really the small businesses that drive that, um, that culture and, yeah. and that um, uh, sense of community, yeah. really. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And if you, if you look at a lot of entertainment streets like this around the world, um, there's usually a variety of different sizes and scales of businesses yeah you can have sort of the you may have some of the brand name businesses and larger floor plate businesses like the london drugs and the bay etc but you can layer into that um sort of this more granular uh, uh, myriad of businesses i mean if you go into downtown melbourne uh you can see that Mm -hmm. you know just the local cafes i mean they're 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 really you know fervently local you know you wouldn't find a Starbucks anywhere, yeah. right? But it's really um, that granularity. So I think those things can work together. And, and also kind of the vertical layering too. Like mm-hmm. it's not just the ground plane. I mean, you walk into some of those projects in Melbourne where there's these beautiful cafe terraces that are multi-level, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that's that's really important to consider on Granville Street mm-hmm. to make it yeah. more relevant. Well, the scale can accommodate that too. It absolutely can. And, and so to just think about the ground plane is, is probably not sufficient in terms yeah. of and not appropriate. Um, one of the things that, you know, I look at, because uh, I work, my office is in Gastown. Yeah. And one of the things that's really very special about Gastown is that sort of layering. So, you know, you've got these huge businesses, uh, uh, you know, lots of um, big uh IT and um, social media businesses are now occupying the upper yep. levels of Gastown, but the the ground plane is still quite granular. Yeah, that's right. And even though it is a destination place, the amount of local people that actually support Gastown and small businesses is remarkable. Yeah, I would say that most of the businesses there are supported by people who actually work in Gastown, and uh, there is a, a a real joy and beauty to moving through Gastown as a local and being able to support my local coffee shop or my local shoe shop or, you know, and you build relationships. And that, again, that goes back to that resiliency, you know, so I, I think there, you know, to see that come up on Granville Street, I think is a, it will be a very exciting project because I'm sure um, the scale alone is, is 
provides a lot of opportunity. For sure. Like, you know, having grown up in Vancouver, I've seen a mass transformation of, uh, of uh, Gastown in recent history. Because mm. Gastown was sort of the, that primary tourist destination. Yes. Uh, certainly before COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a few years back, Granville Street underwent a major transformation, too. Um, we talked a lot. I think there was a, a Granville business, Asso- or sorry, a, a Gastown business association that was set up that, yes. you know, struggled with um, some of the challenges of, of Granville Street and attracting locals. Um, it was a, uh, oftentimes there's a uh, sort of a, a sense of transiency and vagrancy That's and all right. that, that, yeah. that was quite challenging. But the, the, the risk oblivious, the, the, those <laughs> urban pioneers that came in to really act, reactivate the street. Yeah. Um, to turn it into something truly local has mm-hmm. been seen over the last, yes. I'd say, maybe five or six years. Yeah. And I would say that that initiative has actually made Gaston way more vibrant. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So we can absolutely think about that on Granville Street as well. Um, and, uh, you know, also the other thing I wanted to point out, too, is how do you make a street um, more active it's not just the street itself and it's not just the adjacent businesses but it's creating kind of these third spaces Mm -hmm. you know um uh those types of interstitial spaces whether moving through a a, like an arcade like a pedestrian arcade into a courtyard Mm -hmm. or those inside outside spaces where like a food hall can open up the whole side of a food hall can open up to the outside i can imagine it already right i mean that would be amazing and and being able to flow through even like a food hall or some like a, a marketplace mm-hmm. and access the lane behind. That's right. And activate the yeah. lane. Yeah. So it's it's those sort of third spaces and that porosity uh, of a street environment that it becomes really important. The other thing too, um, not only on Granville Street, but other things, is, is creating a 24-hour environment. Right. Right. And, and that all comes down to ensuring that there's a, a sense of resiliency and diversity of uses that can be there uh, through all courses of the day yes. and night, yes. right? Yeah. I think there's an opportunity there as well, yeah. particularly as more and more people live in that live and work in that yeah. vicinity. Yeah, I, I mean, one of the things that um, was prohibitive for Gastown and and even Granville Street to some degree is the transiency, and and you know a lot yeah. of people didn't feel safe there at yeah. night, and so that perpetuates this unsafe place. Yeah, and so when you start to, I mean, Jane Jacobs talks about this. Yeah. Uh, this is really her. Her true thesis is the is the life cycle of a community, the life cycle of a street should be twenty four hours, yeah. so that it becomes not just safe, it becomes vibrant, it becomes resilient. Yeah. And and even though the nature of the occupants change perhaps and the uses change over the course of the day, there's still a critical mass there that yeah. actually helps to maintain its uniqueness and, Absolutely. and its vibrancy. Creating a culture of Creating a culture of diversity and inclusion yes. is critical um, to ensure uh, success of these public spaces. There's nothing wrong with the fact that people may be seen as urban campers in that space. Yeah. Um, it's their choice to be there or not. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's their choice to be there within a diversity of others that would also use that space. If you yeah. are there for, with good intentions, you belong there. That's right. Right? Yeah. And so that, I think, is is really the, the kind of culture and, and, yeah. and society we want to create in these public Absolutely. spaces. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. To that point, one of, the, one of the public spaces I've seen change over, over the years is Victory Square. In, right. You know, like the, the diversity of people that actually use Victory Square is quite remarkable. 
uh, pandemic aside, like pre-pandemic, yeah. you know, you had people who were going there out of their offices for lunch. You had homeless people there. You yeah. had, you know, groups of um, downtown Eastside residents having little gatherings and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and, and so to see that expand and, and to see that diversity throughout all of our public space yeah. without the necessity of a security guard, yeah, exactly. per se, at every yeah. corner... I think it's one of the, the highest achievements of public space that we should strive for. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I'd like to talk about the... We talked a lot about the democracy of um, public realm. Uh, and I don't know if you can speak to this, but in terms of um, well-being and mental health. Yes. Uh, the importance of not just public space, but uh, well-designed, integrated well-connected public space and its huge impact on the well-being of a city, the well-being of the inhabitants of the city. Yeah. You know, one of the things as a landscape architect is recognizing that we have an innate need to access nature. Yes. To access green space. Mm -hmm. And there's been a lot of scientific studies indicating that even having access to green space out of your window in a hospital you know, right. increases the rate of healing for people, yes, yeah. let alone being out there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that um, in the context of Vancouver, we've been very fortunate because we've always had natural surroundings to inspire us. That's right. Uh, and and allow us to appreciate that importance of having close access, whether it's going out for a hike in the nearby yes. mountains or whatever. And that certainly has inspired us to try to integrate that that healing quality of natural space into our park environments. Mm -hmm. And of course, Stanley Park is a great yes. example of that. Yeah. And in turn, you know, going, coming back to Southeast Falls Creek, you know, the idea of a naturalized waterfront, you know, creating an urban wetland in, the, in Hinge Park, where yes. if you live here and if you're a young child living with your family here, you can go out and watch the beaver That's or, right. you know, the red tip blackbirds, yes. you know, species that you otherwise wouldn't see in an urban context. Mm -hmm. So there is much to be said about that element um, that that is really in, sort of inherent within achieving high quality of health and well-being. I think also the social aspects of public space. You know, right. we are social creatures. You know, we we cannot just be living in isolation all the time. Yes. Or and our be, condos are getting smaller and smaller. Our condos are getting smaller. <laughs> and yes, you know, we are on social media, but I don't think that that is necessarily any replacement for human interaction. Yes. I also talk, I, I, I like to talk about the digital world as being a highly fragmented yes. world. Uh, where we, we oftentimes isolate ourselves in our echo chambers, and that's not a, a true reflection of a physical society yeah when you're out in in the in the physical world there's all kinds of buffering mechanisms that we experience in terms of how we get on with people mm -hmm. right that uh, we cannot hide behind in a d digital world yeah and it's it's finding and creating human uh, opportunities for human interaction in public spaces real human action yeah. hu interaction Places that allow for spontaneous happenstance encounters where yes. you can bump into your neighbor yeah. and have a coffee or, you know, stand on a street corner or sit on a bench and have a conversation. Or 
places that allow a diversity of people yeah. to hang out in because I think there's a strong uh, sort of healing effect of uh, children and elderly and all ages and interests in between to be together. That's right. And yeah. to foster a greater sense of uh, understanding and tolerance and uh, cohabitation. Mm -hmm. And so that's really, really important where that is not so easy to do within the environment of a restaurant or yeah. a privately owned space. Yeah. We need those third spaces to allow that to happen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and not just old and young, but people who have various mobility um, issues and or yes. modalities and, you That's know, right. the, the not just in terms of the psychological uh, health and well-being, but certainly in terms of the development well-being of, of young children to yeah. see that diversity and for it to be normal, mm -hmm. um, I think does certainly build a richer society, yeah. a, 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 certainly a more healthy society overall. Yeah. Um, well, thank you, Derek. Thank is, you. Is there anything else you wanted to impart on us in terms of, as citizens, how we can move our public spaces to a, a higher quality, a higher plane? Yeah, I mean, be engaged, you know. Yeah. Be interested and engaged in what's happening around you in, in our cities. You know, I think there's all kinds of uh, resources that would enhance our vocabulary and understanding. So I, I think that when we uh, are, when we do find ourselves in a forum, uh, a constructive forum for um, engaging on a project or on a vision, mm -hmm. um, I, you know, that you have the tools you need or the perspective that you need um, to contribute. And I think it's really, it's a dialogue. It's yeah. an ongoing dialogue. And I'm really, really hopeful too that we can improve opportunities for these very open venues to yes. promote this sort of uh, uh, constructive discourse yeah. on city building. Yeah. And uh, that I think is going to be one of my uh, focuses over the coming years to, to help that. Great, help well you mentioned Urbanarium. Yes. Uh, is there any? Are there any other forums that exist right now that that we can direct our listeners to? Yeah. Well, I'm also on the board of directors of the Downtown Vancouver Association, the DVA, and um, we our mantra is engage, educate, and advocate. And so we've actually come up with a, uh, opportunities to create roundtable discussions on a myriad of urban issues, whether it's uh, housing and affordability, mobility and housing and affordability, or mobility and joy, or open space, public space. And these forums that are quite topical on these different issues yes. um, are interconnected. Absolutely. You know, all that's the one thing about a city is it is a whole number of very specific issues that do not exist on their own but yes. in fact are interconnected and we as citizens need to, and want to understand that and understand those relationships right yes so yeah and that where can people find that so you can go to um www.thedva.ca wonderful and you can um check that out it's either ca 
or .com. Okay. <laughs> I don't have it on the top we'll, of my head. We'll, we'll look it up. We'll put a link in, in our... Send a link. Uh, yeah. But also, uh, the Urbanarium yes. is, is another one. And also, um, be engaged with your city as well. I mean, if you go on the City of Vancouver website or whichever uh, city or municipality you live in, there's usually um, uh, all sorts of opportunities to engage on planning projects yes. and, and things that uh, you should you should definitely access as well. Yeah. So wonderful. Thank you well, very it's much. It's such a pleasure and an honor to have you oh, uh, on the podcast. Here. Thank uh, you. Thanks for your time. Okay. And maybe we'll catch up another time. I hope so. Yeah. Okay. Take care. Take Derek. care. For more information on this or any other episodes of the Happy Texture Podcast, you can find us at happytexture.com. H-A-P-P-I-T-E-C-T-U-R-E.com. Special thanks to our sponsors, Cora Architecture and Interiors. Designing places for being. Post-production by Vanessa Hennessy.